The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. We have an amazing team here at the Creek, and if you don't know them, I encourage you to get to know them. They're, they're incredible uh, men and women of God, and I love having them around us. Uh, thank you for letting me go on a mission trip. Uh, my team is so capable that, that, I mean, they're like, we got this, Matt. And so I'm grateful for that. If this is your first time here, I'm Pastor Matt. Um, and there's a, there's a visitor card or communication card in the worship guide you received. If you'll fill that out to the level of your comfort, we just want to get some information to you about who we are. And you can put that on your, in your giving stations on the way out. Um, that's how we're obedient with God, with his tithes and our offerings, as we have giving stations as you walk out the door and outside the video cafe. Um, we believe God provides for the ministry and we love it. He's been uh, abundantly faithful uh, with everything that's gone on. Also, just every week, the reason we're here is to love people and make Jesus clear. We do that. We stay out a lot of mess. It keeps us out of the weeds. And so our goal every week is for you to have an interaction with Jesus and, uh, man, just be loved on. And so uh, sometimes we come in here kind of beat up from the week. Let's love on you. Sometimes we come in excited from the week, and you need to be loving on some other people. Um, so that's, that's what we do. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 12 today. So if you've got your Bible, meet me there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows. We, do have some, we did find some that we can order, so we will have some coming in. Uh, if you have a smartphone, tablet, whatever, I don't think it works on the bag phones anymore, by the way. But um, you can go to Version and uh, follow along with this, and they have all the scriptures. It's a free Bible app. If you don't have it, let me tell you, it's pretty amazing. You can get it set up to where it does a verse each day for you. There's Bible reading plans. My small group in the spring did Bible in 90 days. I did it all through my Version app. It's pretty awesome. It's got these little, I, I'm a chart guy, and I like seeing the progress and so you see that bar getting more full, more full, and you're excited. Not to mention, I mean, you're reading the Word of God, and so you're, you're just so locked in there. But um, version's a good app. So Acts chapter 12, meet me there. We looked last week about Peter uh, dealing with um, prison and God dealing with getting him out. We talked about what it means to be praying, what it looks like to be a praying church, what happens when we engage in the gospel mission and God goes before us. We're going to look at a couple characters today. We're going to look at Peter and James. Uh, We're going to look at some soldiers and we're going to look at King Herod. And we're going to deal with pride today. And Part of our charge as, as a church, when we launched the church, we just felt called that we, we're to teach Scripture, we're to teach the truth of Scripture. I'm just going to tell you, today's not an easy one. Um, if it were up to me, we'd go ahead and start Acts 13 um, and get to talk about Paul and his missionary journeys, but uh, we're going to deal with a, a tough subject. Whether you're in church or out of church is a tough subject. It's deal, dealing with pride. Peter, who we see in Acts chapter 12, who was miraculously released from prison, uh, later wrote a couple letters that are in the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Peter. Also, when Peter left, when he got out of prison, and he said, tell James and the other brothers about this, he's referring to Jesus' half-brother, James. James also wrote a letter, which is in Scripture. Both of these two men write something that refers back to Proverbs chapter 3. They both make this comment that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, These are two men that had seen Jesus face to face, that walked 
uh, in, with him in his earthly ministry. They had seen the effects of pride. They had seen the, the, the beautiful responses of humility and the grace being poured out through humility. And that so marked them that, that as they're, and they're each given different accounts. It's in your future reading this week. They're hitting different subjects, but they both come back to this. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, for God to oppose something, let, let, let me help you with this. We, we, we throw around this term lightly in our vernacular today that I hate this. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I hate eggplant. Um, if you love eggplant, good for you. you. More for you, okay? I just don't like eggplant. Um, I hate mosquitoes. I don't know what purpose they serve other than to annoy me. Um, I'm sure that when I get to heaven and God says, here's why I made mosquitoes, I'll go, oh, I get it. But I don't get it on this side of heaven, okay? I hate mosquitoes. Rats, snakes, spiders, you, you name it, okay? I hate those things. But I say I hate them, and that's more of a term of strong dislike. When we say I hate something and strongly oppose it, that's God's view of pride. God hates pride. And so when we learn in in John that God is love, there's got to be something important here that we're missing. If, If God is love and his character and nature is love, but he hates something, why does he hate pride so much? Because pride is the barrier between us and a relationship with him. You see, Jesus died for the sin barrier. But pride keeps us from humbling ourselves at the foot of the cross and saying, I need your grace. Pride tells us that we're better than that. Or we're not that bad that we need the grace. And so pride becomes a hindrance to a relationship with God. Pride is, is kind of a root, if you will, that bears fruit in so many different areas. You look at so many things that stems from pride. Uh, you look at the, the greed that, that just so um, entangles our society. It's because we say words like, I deserve blank. I'm entitled to blank. You look, at, you look at adultery, it's pride. It's a root of pride. It's, God, I deserve better than who you gave me as a spouse. You look at all of these issues that stem from pride. Hate comes from pride. It's because I am better than fill in the blank. If those words are in your vocabulary, if that's on your playlist often, that I deserve blank or... I'm better than blank, or at least I'm not like. And we've all said it, but if these are on your regular turn, man, let, let's do a heart check here. Let's pray, God, search our hearts, reveal that in us. Let's get to the root and let's deal with it. I, I'm setting this up because it's important for us to understand that, that in, in pride, we find ourselves in opposition of God. It's not God isn't just unhappy with the life we're living based in pride. It's God opposes us. Through the Bible in 90 days, what you see over and over is a nation of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel becoming prideful and God having to humble them. I mean, it's, it's just like that. It's almost like a broken record. God said, if you will humble yourself and obey the things I've said, these are the blessings that I've set for you. 
However, if you are prideful, you do not humble yourselves and you do not live in obedience to the things I've commanded. These are the curses that are set before you. Read the Old Testament. They endured the curses that God said, here's what's coming. God hates pride. And then to take it an even, even step further, God is against the person who is prideful. We see language like, I abhor the proud. In Proverbs 3, it says that he mocks those. It's, it's God making fun of you because he's, just, he's, he's like, I'm against you. I mean, we talk about the enemy and his attack, attacks, and you know, sometimes we feel like all hell's coming against us. The great thing is the enemy's been defeated. Jesus has fought that battle. You know, what I say, I get behind Jesus and say, Jesus, you deal with this because all hell's coming at me. And he steps in and goes, I got this. When we're prideful, we're stepping in front of Jesus and we're saying, I got this. And not all hell's coming against us, but all heaven's coming against us. I would much rather be behind Jesus, to be, to be honest with you. So let's set this. And I'm not talking about being proud. I'm proud of my kids. I have two amazing daughters who are incredible young women of God. I've seen them grow up. They are, I am so proud of my girls. But I'm not going to teach them to be prideful. I'm proud. This week, we celebrate our independence. I'm proud to be an American. I mean, I bleed the red, white, and blue. I am proud to live in the country that I live in. I'm proud to be a Texan. I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could. I'm proud to be a Texan. I, I'm telling you, I like that flag on my, bump, on my license plate. I like going to other states. In the, I'm the Lone Star State. I, I drive into your state, welcome to Missouri, the show me state. My state says, welcome to Texas. Don't mess with Texas. I'm proud to be from Texas. But I'm not a prideful American. I'm going to Honduras this week. If I walk in there a prideful American, you know what they're going to do? They're going to slap the red, white, and blue snot right out of me. I'm proud to be an American, but I'm going to go in with hum- humility and with the gospel. I'm proud that there are men and women that will stand in the gap for me and say, you know what, I'll fight for your right to stand up here on Sunday mornings and preach the gospel without fear of persecution. I'm proud of that. But I'm not going to be a prideful American. I'm going to be a humble follower of Jesus. We're going to see four different people in this story. We're going to see Peter, James, soldiers, and Herod. And if this verse is true, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, we should see opposition coming against people who are proud, and we should see grace coming to those who are humble. If, if this verse is not true, then nothing is true. But this verse is true, and we see it played out in this story, that God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Chapter 12, um, let's look at verse 2. We're going we're to re-hit some highlights. It's like last week on, you know, when you watch a show and you're like, previously on. Um, we're going to hit some of that a little bit like this in, in, in this first section because we're going to look at Peter and James. Let's look at James. This isn't James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is the James, brother of John, son of Zebedee. So they're fishing in a boat. Jesus approaches the boat, says, come follow me. They get out of the boat and they go. People always wonder, like, Zebedee's letting his sons go. They were going to carry on the family business. How can he let them go? Because they're following Jesus. My oldest daughter lives in Canada. 
that tears me up to have my baby girl that far away from home. And somebody said, how can you let her live in Canada? I said, I'm just like Zebedee. I'd rather be out of my boat following Jesus than in my boat and unhappy. So James and John are following Jesus. James is a disciple. James has humbled himself to the gospel. He's humbled himself to the cross of Christ. And and he is obedient in doing the work and the mission of the gospel. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Now, wait a second. If God gives grace to the humble, we should see God responding with humility. But we should see God responding to James's humility with grace. Where is this grace? He died. See, pride says, I want it the way I want it. Humility says, not my will, but your will, God. I, will, I want it the way you want it to be done. Here's, look at it this way. Humility leads us to, to bow ourselves before, before Jesus, before God, and say, I want your will so you get the glory with whatever happens in my life. Pride is going to say, I want the glory, but I want you to work for me. One of the things that I think is important is to read church history even outside of Scripture. It doesn't trump Scripture, but we gain an insight into what's going on around this. Church history tells us that the soldier who executed James was later executed because he professed Christ. The soldier who executed James saw James die with such great grace that he had to understand what would cause somebody to submit themselves to this man, Jesus? So think about grace. You got James being killed. History tells us he was probably beheaded. And in that moment, he humbles himself to death. And in that moment, he's face to face with Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, again, I mean, think about it. He walked with Jesus through his earthly ministry. He sees Jesus ascend into heaven. He takes up the mission of the gospel. He finds himself in, in this situation with Herod. He, he's killed, and now he's face-to-face with Jesus again. And Jesus is like, well done, James. I'm proud of you. You humbled yourself. I poured out grace. I'm proud of you for that. I'm, I'm really convinced on, through the threshold of, of death, on the other side of that. Now, I'm, I'm going to take the Apostle Paul's view of death, by the way. He considers it an enemy. I'm going to fight it with everything I got to my last breath. But think about some of the words that the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's standing face to face with Jesus. He's like, well done. And then I'm only imagining this, but he says, hey, let me introduce you to Tony. He's the Roman soldier who executed you. Like, what? His name's Tony. Any, any Roman soldier, Italian? Good Italian boy, his name's Tony. So Jesus is like, let me introduce you to Tony. Tony shares a testimony, perhaps, of, man, the grace of God was so on you that I had to understand what would motivate you to die, and I met him. Talk about grace. That's that dying grace. That's that grace to walk through the hardest thing possible, yet giving God glory. 
We may not have to walk through that dying grace this week, but you know what? Dying to ourself is just as difficult. As I read this, the question came to my mind of, would you die for what you believe in? And as I prayed and wrestled with it, I think it's easier to die for what I believe in than to die to what I believe in. Because that means I've got to live it out every day. Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. Sometimes I'd rather take the gain. And I've got to die to this every day. And to live in that grace that as soon as my feet hit the floor in the morning, I say, God, it's not my will but yours. Whatever you've got before me today, I want you to be glorified in everything. Give me the grace to walk this day to your glory. Typically, between the bed and the bathroom, at that point, I'm already having to ask for forgiveness. That's just the way it works, right? So we see James receiving grace. He didn't get everything he wanted, but humility doesn't mean you have to get everything you want. So James gets grace. Let's look at Peter. We looked at him very in-depth last week, but uh, we'll kind of hit. Let's go to verse 4. This is Herod after arresting Peter. He put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 soldiers because, you see, Peter had gotten out of prison before. He'd been arrested, and he got put in prison. The angel's like, here, I got the key. He opens the door, he walks out. Herod's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going through that again. So he guards him with 16 soldiers, four squads of four each. They typically would alternate their watch. Then it says this, that... um, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and two sentries stood guard at the entrance. So what you've got, you've got Peter in prison. He's got one guard chained to him on this side, one guard chained to him on this side. There's two of them. There's two sentries at the door. There's your four. And there were four squads. They rotated. And so Peter's sitting here, chained to these soldiers. There's two outside. And an angel of the Lord is going to come in, break the chains off. He's got to wake Peter up. Kicks him, kind of wake up. Kicks him in the side, I guess. Punches him, strikes him. Chains fall off. Peter gets dressed. Doors open. They walk out. Now look at what's happening here. Peter was a humble man. He humbled himself to the gospel, took Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He said, you're my Lord and my God, my Lord and my Messiah. After Peter denied him three times, you can read in John where he restores Peter, and Peter becomes an amazing spokesperson for the church. Now, we read that he was chained to soldiers. Here's the difference between pride and humility. Pride is, I'm chained to these soldiers. Humility, these soldiers are chained to me. Go back and read Acts 2. Man, when, when the day of Pentecost happens and Peter's preaching the gospel, Peter was beautiful at speaking the narrative of the gospel and the truth of Jesus and the cross of Christ. You cannot tell me that those Tonys did not hear about the gospel. They're, they're all Tonys, okay? Tony 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. What would it be? Tony XVI for Tony the 16th? He had the lowest seniority. You can't tell me they didn't hear the gospel. 
Man, why why are we chained to you so much? Why can't we just lock them in a cell? Let me tell you why. Because my chains are with the gospel. That there is this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was born a virgin, who lived a life. He was God in flesh. And I walked with him for three years and I saw the things he did and I saw his heart and I saw his desire to glorify the Father. I saw him walk a hill carrying a cross. I saw nails put in his hand, in his feet, a crown of thorns on his head. I was there the morning that we went to the tomb and I ran because they said he wasn't there. And when we got there, he was risen. They crucified him, but death couldn't keep him down. That's why I'm sitting here chained to you, Tony. You listen to this, Tony? That's why I'm here. That's humility. God is going to put you, the grace of God is going to put you in situations so the gospel can be shared with people who need to hear the gospel. Grace isn't just for you to get out of your situation. That's pride asking grace to fix you. And so when we live this way, we're totally submitted because we like to think, well, well, grace would have meant James is still alive. He wouldn't have died. Grace means Peter wouldn't have been arrested and the church continues to grow. Let me tell you, through this bit, we're going to see the persecution of the church for a time stop. Talk about grace. This is grace greater than we can imagine. It's not fixing one situation. God's thinking farther down the line than we are. Here's the reality. Your prison term may be God showing grace to somebody else. Walk it out. Pray it out. Humble yourself to live it out with the grace of God being evident in your life. Look at the... the, effects of this grace. Peter walks out of prison. That's pretty cool within itself. The church gets faith. This church was earnestly, humbly praying for someone else. I'm good at selfish prayers, just by the way. I mean, I pray for you. I pray for you every day. I pray for our church. I pray for the direction of our church. I pray that I'm a good steward with every resource God brings me. But I pray, God, help me do this. Help me do this. Help me do this. We're good at selfish prayers. This is a church humbling themselves to pray for Peter. Think about the grace that was poured on on that. Their faith was so encouraged. Now, it took a little bit because as Peter gets out of jail, he's walking through the streets, finds himself Jerusalem's most wanted. He's banging on the door. The servant girl comes, and she's so excited, she leaves him out there. And the church is like, you out of your mind, girl. That's probably his angel. Here's what the church could more easily believe, that Herod had already killed Peter, and it's his angel standing there knocking at the door. Let me tell you something. If I was an angel, I'd go through the door, all right? That should have been your first clue. Somebody in that church had to be smart enough to think, well, if that's his angel, he would have just walked through the door, right? And they go, and they're astonished. So the grace poured out. Peter gets out of prison. Sixteen guards are definitely hearing about the gospel. I don't think, I don't think Luke needed to tell us that detail. You read enough about Peter just in, his, in the gospels in the book of Acts. Those, got, those guards heard the gospel. You got the church encouraged, their faith strengthened. Then you've got Peter going off to preach the gospel in other places. And then he says, go tell James. This James is the half-brother of Jesus. 
about what's, what happens. James, is like, James was not a believer in his brother. He didn't believe he was the Christ. He thought he was crazy until after the resurrection. And he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Pin the words that I just quoted you in James 4, 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You go on down the line. I'm encouraged by that today because I'm here. And if I humble myself, God's going to respond to me with grace. That's an encouragement. God's thinking farther down the line than we can imagine. So I hope we find ourselves in this first section because just as God responds to grace with humility, I mean humility with grace, God responds to pride with opposition. God is going to deal with pride. Now, he deals with it in his time, but he's going to deal with it. Go to verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers to what had become of Peter. You think? I mean, those Tonys were blaming each other. When Herod comes in, I'm going to tell him it's your fault, Tony. Okay, tell him it's Tony's fault. So the Tonys are blaming the other Tonys, and they're, I don't know how it's going. It just says there's no small commotion, which here's what you can read. There was a large commotion, okay? And these are men. These are soldiers, and these men have egos because these men could go to anybody who was a Jew and say, carry my armor. And they had to carry it a minimum of a mile. Jesus said, hey, if they ask you to carry it a mile, go two. They, were, they, they had an ego, So they're blaming the Tonys, and so Herod comes in, verse 19. After Herod had made a thorough search and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. See, the Roman law was if you're a soldier and you're guarding someone that's being held for a crime and for trial, and you let them escape, you pay for their crime. Herod had 16 soldiers guarding Peter. They were taking shifts. They let him get away. They were executed. Well, well, wait, Matt, that sounds pretty hard of God because really if God's a loving God and God's full of grace, why didn't he just keep Peter out of prison to save the, the lives of these guards? Pride is a barrier to Jesus. But why didn't, when, when he was chained, why, why didn't God just make him believe? Because Peter's telling him the gospel he had to have been. Why didn't they, why didn't, I mean, because in Acts chapter 2, it says that as Peter was speaking, they were cut to the heart. That's the Holy Spirit's work. All we're supposed to do is profess the gospel. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. And let the Holy Spirit do the, the scalpel work around the heart. Why didn't God do that? Pride is a barrier to Jesus. Pride hardens our hearts so much so that God says, I can't cut it away. You won't let me. So these soldiers were executed. So we're three for three. James, humble, receives grace. Peter, humble, receives grace. Guards, prideful, opposition. Opposition doesn't always equate to death. Opposition means God is against you. So let's, let's go on. Let's talk about Herod. Herod's an interesting joker. Uh, he, uh, his grandfather's named Herod the Great, and he gave himself that name. Now, I, don't, I know we've got all kinds of names for grandparents in our society, Gigi, Papa, uh, Mama, Papa, uh, Mimo, Peepaw, Papa, 
uh, Gimal was is Heather's grandma. Um, uh, Memal, Pepal. I mean, all of these all of these different names that we have for grandparents. If your grandfather is Pawpaw the Great, I don't mean like great grandpa Pawpaw. I mean Pawpaw the Great. There's a little bit of something. You might want to have his meds checked. (laughs) Herod the Great has his grandson, now Herod. Herod the Great was so threatened by his son, he had him killed. And he poured his energy into this Herod because he's a generation removed. He doesn't have to worry about that. Herod the Great kept company with, with leaders of Rome, Claudius, who later became Caesar Augustus, um, Caligula. He got in with the power of Rome so he could gain power in Rome. He was also very religious. He would try to keep the Jewish festivals, keep the Jews happy. That's why he's persecuting the church here because there's a division that's happened, so he's trying to curry favor. So Herod is a very prideful man. He learns pride from his his grandfather, let me t- don't teach your kids to be prideful. I know you don't, there's a lot of things as parents and, and future parents that you think about what you want your kids to be. Don't teach them to be prideful. I'm telling you, God, I would much rather and God would much rather deal with humbling or humbled strugglers than prideful jerks. Don't teach them to be prideful. Show them humility. So Herod's prideful. He's trying to keep things. He's religious. By the way, religion isn't the antidote to pride. Because if you can do both, then you become prideful about how well you can be religious. And we see that a lot in the church. We start comparing ourselves to other people in the church. I'm growing great spiritually because this person over here, man, they still look at their language. Look at their stuff on Facebook. There's no way that they're maturing as a Christian. I am. Think about it. Pride is an inaccurate self-image because we're willing to compare ourselves with other people. Humility is a more accurate self-image because we're going to look at where we are with Jesus. Here's what you want to think. If you want to mark your spiritual maturity, see where you've grown, go back to the beginning. Think about where you were when God reconciled you, when you humbled yourself at the foot of the cross and you said, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and my God, my Savior and my God. Think about your life at that point when he reconciled you, transformed you in a new creation. You're a new creature. Now, where are you? That's the maturity. That's not religion. That's a relationship with Jesus. That's following him with everything you got. It's not behavior modification. It's submission to a savior. All the other stuff happens as maturity happens. So you've got Herod here who was proud. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. There's a lot going on in the, in the political scene here, but through this, these connections that, that Herod had, he was the ruler over all the region of Israel. Prideful people like to control other people. And if you notice, it says there's quarreling. There's a lot of quarreling that pride starts to produce. And he's got a vent. Herod's pretty frustrated that Peter got away again. And he's going to vent. 
We all vent in different ways. It's like the dude that had a bad day at work gets and starts getting aggravated in traffic, gets home, yells at the wife, yells at the kids, goes in, kicks the dogs, and then spends the rest of the evening apologizing, figuring out how to get things back to good. And then his neighbor's like, man, just skip all that. Just go in and kick the dog. And the dog's like, what'd I do? You got to vent. Here's the beauty about humility. We don't have to vent. We can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. So pride leads to all of this. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Now, here's another value of reading history outside of Scripture. There's a first century historian named Josephus. Not Bocephus, Josephus. And he writes an account of this very occasion. Herod appointed the time of day and the location in the theater and had his throne set up in the right spot because at the right time and the right spot, the sun was going to be in the right place. And the robe, the royal robe that he had was adorned with these silver plates on him. So as he's walking, it looks like a Lady Gaga parade. And he goes and he sits on his throne and the sun is reflecting and as he's moving, that strobing effect. I'm sure people in the audience are having seizures from the strobe lights. But I mean, it's like a, a massive show. And he delivers this speech. Josephus doesn't even tell us what he said. That's not really a big point. But here's a response. The people, they shouted, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise back to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Josephus tells us that he doubled over. Men had to carry him out, and for five days, he went through some very humiliating personal experiences before he died. All we need to know is an angel broke Peter out of jail, and here an angel broke Herod. This was God's opposition. Here it is, though. You're like, but, but he didn't tell the people to shout he was a god. The people were probably playing into his pride because they wanted food. It says this, because Herod didn't give the glory back to God. Back in Acts 3, when we studied that, when Peter um, was on the way to the temple and there was a crippled beggar laying there and Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I'll give you, I'll give you. What I have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. This man stands up. The people see it. They start praising God. They think Peter's a God. Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. Simmer down now, cowboy. I am not a God. I'm just a man. It's because of Jesus this man walks. Not only should we not build ourselves up, we shouldn't let other people build us up. And because of pride, Herod was struck down. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. There's a lot of things I want our church to be about. I don't want us to be a prideful church. You don't need a prideful pastor. I won't believe everything you say if you don't believe everything I say. All the good, the bad. One of my Abby's teachers said this at her conference. She goes, I won't believe everything Abby says about you if you don't believe everything Abby says about me. And I'm like, deal. We got us a deal. Don't let other people build you up. Don't let other people tear you down. But don't be prideful. 
God opposes the proud. Then it goes on. This is what happens. This is just the way that God works. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. God will silence the words of the proud so his word increases. Not your words, not your voice, his voice. We all play it out in our mind what we'd like to say to those people that we have a beef with. You've rehearsed it. You know, man, if the opportunity set itself upright, it's like standing at the plate. If they throw a slow ball right over the middle, man, I'm swinging at it, and you've rehearsed what you're going to say. It's not your voice. It's God's voice. When we humble ourselves, we're saying, God, I want what you want so that they can see grace in our life. I'm convinced of this. We're shown grace to show grace. Let me help you with what grace is. We've talked a lot about grace. Grace is this. Grace is unmerited favor. It's getting what I don't deserve. I don't deserve God. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his provision in my life. I don't deserve the breath that he tells me I can have every second. I don't deserve heaven just because I'm born in the country I'm born in. I don't deserve heaven because I'm a Texan. I don't deserve heaven because I'm a good guy. I don't deserve heaven. What I deserve is hell. Because I'm born into a broken system. I am born broken, and it takes the cross of Christ to reconcile me back with Him as my Father. Not earning His love, not deserving His love, but because I humble myself, He gives it through His grace. What we deserve is justice. And that's getting what we deserve. We are shown grace to show grace. We're not shown grace to show justice. And I also believe we're shown humility to show humility. Let me, let me close with this. This is Philippians 2. And for the next service, I'm going to mark it in my Bible so I don't have to keep flipping back and forth. Philippians 2. It's the Apostle Paul speaking. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here's the truth. This is where I'd love to be able to preach on something real nice and cute and pretty. But the truth is this. We will all be humbled. We'll either be humbled by His grace or by His judgment. There will be a time that at every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Let me me encourage you. Humble yourself to receive grace. If we humble ourselves and receive his grace, we'll never have to be humbled by his judgment. And he will open his grace up to us. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble.
Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your truth, your word. We ask right now that, God, that you give us the strength and the courage. I know that sounds ironic, God, but we're asking for strength and courage to humble ourselves. Because humility doesn't come from weakness. Humility comes from the ability to recognize that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. You are the Christ. So, Father, we ask for your help to humble ourselves. And as we do, we ask for you, Holy Spirit, to do that heart surgery. Cut out those roots of pride in our life. Cut out those feelings of of deserve, uh, deservedness. Cut out those feelings of entitlement. Cut out those feelings of feeling like we're above anyone else or better than anyone else. But God, help us to truly have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Give us the humility that helps us to, to give ourselves even unto death and death on a cross. Father, help us not to just to have courage to die for what we believe in, but give us the courage and the humility to live for what we believe, for what has transformed our life. Help us to leave here different than we came in. Help us to live this week so full of grace and being shown so much grace that we can so amazingly show grace to the world around us. We ask for your help in that. We ask for your strength in that. We love you and we praise you. And we say all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.